This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Hello, I'm Steve Gulyami, Editorial Director at Knowledge at Wharton. And today I'm speaking with Maurice Schweitzer, who is, a, who is a Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions at the Wharton School, and with Jeremy Yip, who is Professor of Management at Georgetown University. And so today we're going to talk about your research on the impact of anger in the workplace. And the title of your paper is Losing Your Temper and Your Perspective, Anger Reduces Perspective Taking. So let's start with just the title of the paper itself, and specifically that term, perspective taking. So Jeremy, can you define that for us in this context? Yeah, perspective taking is a cognitive process that involves recognizing differences and making inferences about how others view a situation. When people engage in perspective taking, they often form mental representations of a particular situation for themselves and for others. That overlap enables people to be able to bridge differences between or of perceptions, interests, and backgrounds. Perspective taking is closely tied to conflict in that poor perspective taking is often associated with conflict. And in this paper, we explore an emotion that's commonly associated with conflict, anger, and, ex and examine whether anger may actually impair perspective taking and potentially fuel conflict. Okay. Uh, and in the paper, you talk specifically about two different kinds of anger. One is incidental anger, the other one's integral anger. Uh, Maurice, could you help us figure out what the difference is between those two and, and why that's important? Sure. Uh, so, there, so, so we explored two different kinds of anger. Incidental anger is anger that might bleed over from one case into another. So imagine you have an argument with your spouse, and then you go into an important meeting at work. Those two cases could be completely unrelated, but that anger might carry over and still influence the way you behave and act in that second situation. So in many of our studies, we look at incidental anger, anger that's just carrying over from one case into another. It's a more conservative test that we're just looking at that pure emotion. And what we consistently find is that the emotions we have from one setting really do carry over to unrelated settings. In contrast, integral anger is anger that I feel toward that same person or about that same issue that bleeds over from one case to another. And in that case, it might be quite relevant. So it could be that I'm upset with a coworker and I'm dealing with that coworker in a second case and that emotion that I'm feeling could be informative and relevant in how I'm dealing with that person. And so here, when we think about conflict settings, what we're showing is that even incidental anger, anger from an unrelated source, can really impair perspective taking. And it's certainly the case that integral anger, that is anger I feel about a particular situation or a person, is going to influence how I deal with that same situation or person. Okay, so let's get to the why then. So, so Jeremy, why why does anger impact perspective taking in these cases? Yeah, it was something that uh, we thought very carefully and deeply about what might explain why anger diminishes perspective taking. And in our work, we found that when people feel angry, they experience elevated levels of arousal 
and that interferes with their ability to think carefully and deliberately, which reduces perspective taking. We can look at emotions according to valence and magnitude. And what we're finding here is that anger is a high, negative valence, high arousal emotion. Can I just stop you for a second? Can you just define what valence means in this context? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, valence is, uh, refers to whether it's positive or negative. Okay. And in this case, uh, anger is a negative emotion um, that also tends to uh, be higher in terms of energy or arousal. And when people feel or experience greater arousal, they tend to be more likely to rely on heuristics. Uh, what's valuable about our work is that we were also able to um, shed some insight into the puzzle about how emotions influence cognition. Prior work has found that when people feel happy, they tend to exhibit impaired perspective taking. Similarly, when people are anxious, they tend to struggle with perspective taking. And here our work finds that when people feel angry, they uh, tend to struggle with their perspective taking. And what ties this all together is the role of arousal. Mm. Maurice? Yeah, so I just add to that, 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 that essentially what we're finding is that when people feel angry, they're collapsing in on themselves. They become far more egocentric and in other work Jeremy and I have done together, we're finding that basically anger, which is this high arousal, that is my heart's beating fast, uh, it's this high arousal emotion, I'm uh, high and alert. Uh, we're focusing in on ourselves, and we're more likely to think about our own interests, and it gets in the way of trying to think about things from somebody else's perspective. So as Jeremy was explaining before, we're trying to disentangle what we know in our heads from how other people are seeing and experiencing things. And it's really hard to make that mental leap to really put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. That perspective taking requires this cognitive effort. Uh, and what we're finding is that the emotions we feel, this anger that we feel, is impairing that process. And in fact, that leads to what you call uh Spirals, correct? Conflict spirals. Yeah, exactly right. So, so and, and Jeremy alluded to this before, that is negotiations or conflicts or disputes, you know, imagine your neighbor's dog bit a member of your family. You might be angry about that. Uh, anger is a common theme in many conflict situations. And what we're finding is that anger harms perspective taking exactly the kind of skill you might need to try to resolve a conflict. So whether it's at work or at home, if you're feeling anger within a conflict situation, it might make it even harder to resolve that. So imagine we're going to court, and as we're going to court, if I can't take the other side's perspective, I might be sure that the judge is gonna rule in my favor. And so now I'm going to be less likely to accept any overtures to try to settle before we go to court. I'm going to escalate this conflict. Okay. So I'm curious to know how you would study an emotion like anger in a lab setting. So Jeremy, can you explain maybe a couple of the experiments that you did? Sure. So we conducted six experiments in the lab. And we, our basic approach to these experiments was that we would induce the emotion 
uh, and we used many different ways to induce emotion. So for example, we induced emotion by providing people with negative feedback, or we had them watch a video in which an injustice occurred, or we had them recall a time that they felt most angry and write about it. They then completed measures of perspective taking. And here's where we were able to introduce some new ways of assessing perspective taking. Uh, in particular, we assess perspective taking uh, through a scheduling task. We told participants that they were, that they needed to write an email and arrange a meeting time with a very important client who was based in California, which was three hours behind their current time zone, Eastern time. We, were, we looked at whether they wrote their messages uh, using meeting times that were in Eastern time or in Pacific time. And for those who wrote in Eastern time, that reflected egocentrism. On the other hand, if they wrote it in Pacific time, that reflected perspective taking. And what we found was that consistently, uh, per participants who felt angry tended to refer in their own egos or to their own egocentric time zone, Eastern time. We also assess perspective taking using other measures where we present either a number, which is which from one vantage point can look like a 16 or for, from another vantage point, 91, um, as well as we ask them questions about who would they uh, side with in terms of an insurance case um, when, um, when attributing blame. So there's a number of different uh, ways that we induce anger and a number of different ways we assess anger, or I'm sorry, assess perspective taking. Uh, so, so Maurice, what do we do then with that information? So we know that Anger reduces perspective taking. What can employees and managers do when anger arises? What should they be doing? So, so, so the first thing to recognize is that perspective taking is always an effortful and challenging process. It's not something we do well naturally. And in any strategic decision, any collaborative decision, we need to work at perspective taking. So the first thing I, I would say is to is to be mindful of how important and challenging perspective taking is. And the second thing informed by our work is to recognize that how we feel can influence our ability to take perspective. And when we feel anger in particular, as well as any other high arousal emotion, we should recognize that our ability to think about other people's perspectives is diminished. That we're more likely to think egocentrically, that our tendency to focus in on ourselves becomes exacerbated by the high arousal emotion of anger or other related emotions. So, so we gotta check our emotions, be mindful of that, and recognize that we're gonna be more likely to adopt an egocentric perspective. Okay. So then are, are there any, Jeremy, are there any specific techniques that uh, either a worker or a manager can, can use when these situations arise? In our research, we examined both incidental and integral anger. And we were able to gain insight on how people can manage incidental anger in relation to their perspective taking. Uh, what we found was that when people are made aware about the source of their incidental anger, and they're able to infer that their anger is irrelevant to their particular social situation, they're able to block the effects of anger and exhibit more perspective taking. 
the important point here, or the important point here, is to cultivate an awareness of our emotions and the sources, and pinpoint the sources of our emotions, so that we can judge whether they're relevant or irrelevant to the social situation at hand. Well, based on your research. Um, do you think that this would, does, does this not work in the case of integral anger as well? For instance, if I'm fighting with someone in the moment about something very specific or, or we're getting into an argument that's getting kind of heated, is it useful to say I'm getting angry or you seem to be getting angry about this? Is that helpful in that moment as well, do you think? Because I can see how it would work in the case of, you know, I've had a bad morning and it might be helpful for me to say, look, I'm reacting this way because I had a terrible morning and this happened. But in the case of integral anger, does it, does it, I can almost see a case where it might cause a spiral to go further if you, if you recognize the fact that I'm getting really mad. <laughs> Do you think that that's true? I, I, I think that it is. So I think we have to be careful. Uh, when we think about integral anger, the anger could be integral with the same person or it could be about the same situation or both. And when we now vent about those issues, it could actually make us angrier. So we have to be careful. On the other hand, in general, the more we can be cognizant of our emotions, the more aware we are of our emotions, and ideally, as Jim was saying, with an incidental anger, so I know that I'm angry about what my boss said to me at work, and now I come home and I recognize the source of my anger, I'm less likely to have that bleed into my interactions at home. Even when the, even when the sources are integral, recognizing what's making me angry can help us deal with that anger and recognize explicitly that this emotion is likely to influence our cognition. That is, we're, our work contributes to this growing body of work that's linking how we feel to how we think. So speaking of that growing body of work, 10 years ago, maybe, you know, someone might have come to work and they might have been told, check your baggage at the door, work is work. You don't, you don't bring your problems here, you just focus on work. Now, it seems like the pendulum is swinging the other way, and we are more inclined to acknowledge the power of emotion at work. How do you think that's going to reshape management practice? I think uh, managers need to be aware of their own emotions and how it can affect their behavior. But they also want to be attuned to the effects of, the emotional effects of their communication. Uh, so when they uh, use incendiary words, whether it is directed at people in, within their own workplace or outside competitors, um, there's an opportunity or there's a chance that that may elicit anger among their audience uh, of workers. And that can have significant effects and consequences for how individuals behave to one another as well as how they behave towards the leader. I think realizing this connection or this link between emotion and cognition is very important for managers to uh, uh, pay attention to. Yeah, I'll just add to that that uh, I think emotion is really integral to getting our work done. A lot of emotion conveys information. So 
if you have an employee who's angry about something, that helps guide attention to that issue. And maybe they're upset because something isn't working well, and we should be paying more attention to that issue. Or in the workplace, the emotions that we express can help us accomplish different kinds of tasks. So sometimes anger can be very motivating. We're upset about some injustice, and we're now motivated to address it. Or it could be that uh, the, the use of positive emotions can help us either bond together or serve a client uh, or help us be excited when we sell a product, that the emotions that we have are really part of us. And rather than trying to check our emotions at the door and assume that we're unemotional throughout the full day, to recognize that there's information here and that there's use for the emotions that we feel. So part of this also, I mean, it seems to me that this could be letting a genie out of a bottle to, for some managers, right? So in other words, if I'm going to start validating or, or acknowledging emotion in the workplace, will it get to a point where all we're talking about are our feelings about things and the work's actually not getting done? Like, where, is there a balance that needs to be found within that? Yeah, I'd say absolutely. So, so clearly, uh, we don't want unregulated emotions running wild. And instead, we need to be careful about how we regulate our emotions. I think the first step is just recognizing that we do feel these emotions. And if we can attribute where that emotion's coming from, uh, I think those two key steps, how do I feel and why do I feel that way, um, that's going to take us a pretty long way. The third sort of next step would be figure out, hey, how do I change my emotions? So it could be that. I'm feeling upset about an interaction I had with a, co a coworker or a colleague. Uh, I have to make an important strategic decision. I know that if I go for a walk, or I go to the gym, or I talk to my other friend down the hall, I'm going to clear my head in a way that's going to allow me to think differently about this decision. So I think it's, it's that recognition um, to recognize how we feel why we feel that way and how we can change how we feel that can really help us make much, much, much better decisions and improve our interactions at work. Okay. And so, Jeremy, what, what kinds of questions did this research raise about anger that maybe you would want to explore next? We became interested in exploring um, the role that anger may play within a team context. So we currently have ongoing work that explores uh, another topic of research that we're both uh, that we've collaborated on, trash talking. And in particular, we look at trash talking uh, when leaders trash talk, is there a functional benefit to doing so uh, within groups? And our evidence suggests that when uh, that in-group members, when in-group members witness a trash-talking leader, they actually that trash-talking can build cohesion and identification with their organization. So it really depends on what these aggressive, what this aggressive, these aggressive words, this incendiary language, what it's targeted at. When it's targeted at outside of a particular organization or in-group, 
it may actually have functional benefits. And that anger that is elicited may essentially serve as a call to action to be able to uh, have a group of people coalesce around a particular cause and uh, pursue it. Okay. And Maurice, where do you think you would take this research next? Uh, well, I think uh, we can think about a series of other related emotions. Uh, so we've done some related work on anger and disgust and sadness um, and happiness to think about the sort of broader set of emotions. I think understanding how we think about emotions and recognize our own, own emotions um, and the interplay of the emotions that you're expressing and how that interacts my thinking and cognition, um, those are all areas that we're eager to explore. And, and I think this trash talking work is particularly interesting when we don't always behave in a civil way with each other and it's easy to trigger emotions in other people. And sometimes we might do it inadvertently in ways that cause other people to act in ways that surprise us, but in hindsight probably shouldn't. Okay. Well, thank you both very much for joining us today. It's a topic that I think is, you know, it touches everyone. So I think it's a, it's a great one to explore. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 